you have your Bibles with you one last time, let me see them. Hey, let me see them up in the uh, your. Okay, turn to Jonah. We're going to be in chapter 4 tonight. We're going to bring this thing home. We're going to close it out, okay? Uh, I, I, love, I love how these dramas end where Jonah's kind of having this back and forth conversation with the gardener. Right? And, and so much of this conversation is Jonah expressing, like, that's not fair. Right? So much of this conversation is Jojo and the gardener and Jonah and God in this story going, I knew it would be like this. I knew you would save those people. I knew that it would come down to this, and it's not fair. And if you read the story in Jonah like you guys did this morning, right, God sends a, a leaf to cover Jonah, and he, he, he experiences this moment of relief from the beating sun, and then he sends a worm to eat away at that leaf. And, and he has this conversation back and forth with God going, God, that's not fair, which don't we have that conversation quite often in life when things don't go our way? Or we ask the question, like, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And we look around us in the world, or maybe we look at in our, our own lives. Maybe it's a divorce that your parents are walking through. Maybe it's a, a moving to a different city. Maybe it's uh, some hardship or some brokenness or some, a moment of anxiety or depression. And we look at our own lives and we think to ourselves, like, this isn't fair. And here's the reality. When, when Jesus came, and in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, when he's having a conversation with his guys, he never promises that he's going to bless our lives. He never promises that he's going he's gonna to fix the things that we might think need fixing. It, it's almost the opposite. In John chapter 16, he says, right, in this world you will have trouble. But he says, take heart. I've overcome the world. That God never promises to bless our lives, but he does promise to bless his message. And, and we can kind of see that clearly in this story. Jonah chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. It's a, it's a quick story where if you look at the life of Jonah, his life doesn't seem very blessed. Remember, homie like is headed towards San Francisco, or, or God calls him to San Francisco, and he goes to Tijuana. He heads the opposite direction, and then God's deliverance of Jonah looks like a storm and then getting swallowed by a whale. That's how God goes, I'm going to pursue you through the scariest storm of your life, so much so that these hardened like sailors, these, these men that had spent their entire lives sailing the ocean, sailing seas, they're so terrified, they're shaking in their boots, and, and the storm gets so intense that they toss Jonah overboard. And, and this is how God pursues Jonah, through a storm and then through getting swallowed by a whale. The, the, the aspects of Jonah's life that are blessed are not the outcomes that he might have thought. But you know what does get blessed in this story? His message. The good news of the gospel that comes to the people of Nineveh. And when Jonah speaks that message, there's nothing particularly special about Jonah in that moment. No, God says, I'm, I'm not going to bless your life, but I am going to bless this message. And we see 120,000 people get saved, come to salvation. Why? Because even in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, even in the midst of Jonah's heart not being aligned with God's heart, God's heart is always for his purpose, and his purpose is always for salvation. Right? Friends, 
like to double down on this concept, you know how crazy it is that God pursues the Ninevites? Check this out. Can you show me that photo? This is a door. Okay, look at this. Okay, this is, this is a, a drawing of the God of the people of Nineveh, and his name is Dagon. Okay, so the people of Nineveh that worshipped like a half fish, half man, like it looks like a fish is spitting up a man. Do you know what God used to pursue those people? A fish spitting up a man. Isn't that nuts? Right? Like, that's bananas. Like, that is the God of the Bible that Genesis through Revelation said, I am for my purpose, and my purpose will always be for salvation. I will chase after people like the Ninevites when they are at their worst, when they are my enemies. Remember Romans chapter 5 that we read last night? God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, while we were broken, while we were sinful, while our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes went completely against God's design for our life, that's when God said the timing is perfect for me to demonstrate who I am and what I'm like. Y'all had a good time this weekend? Hey, isn't this place awesome? And, and here's, friends, here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that we, we, as high school students, we start to wrap our heads around the fact that camp is awesome. And we go, man, like, this, this place, like, I just, I experienced God in this place, and there's an incredible worship team up here, and when they let us in worship, like, I felt like I could worship God like I haven't worshiped God in a while. And when we opened up God's word and we, we read it and we, we cracked open this story, I felt this connection to God in our times of conversation, right? Maybe there's been some breakthrough in your life this weekend. Maybe there's been some moments where you just go like, oh, I love camp. And I'm with you. I love camp. God has used camp in my life in some radical ways. But, but let me suggest something to you. W what I think makes camp awesome is that we do four things here at camp. Number one, we open up God's word, right, multiple times a day. Number two, we, we spend multiple moments of every day in worship through music. Remember yesterday we talked about like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and like Piper's Toys, like the learning friends together in heart, like all these songs, right? Worship through music is powerful. Hey, so we open up God's word, we worship through music, we spend time in community, Hey, the, the life, the Christian life following Jesus was never meant to be done alone. You and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, were meant to be in the trenches together. And lastly, right, there, there's been many moments this weekend here in chapel, in your times in life group, where we just simply spent time in prayer. Right, and prayers, remember, it's not these and thous. Remember chapter 2 of Jonah? It's simply spending time with the person who loves you the most. And let me suggest something. God doesn't live at Hume. God, God doesn't live at this camp, that he promises to go home with us. And my, my encouragement to you is those four things, implement these into your life. Spend time in God's word consistently. Not, as, not because you're checking the box of the Christian life, not because you want to be a good, quote-unquote, a good Christian, whatever that means. No, do it because as we dive into this book, we get to know more about the author and creator of the universe. The one who wrote you a love letter, not about what you have to do to get to God, but what he has done to get to you. Spend time worshiping through music. 
Like download a Spotify playlist, an Apple Music playlist of just worship music. Go up to the band and ask them, hey, can you give me a list of songs that we've sang this weekend? I just, I want to start getting into the practice of remembering who you are through the power of music. Hey, lean into your churches. Lean into your life group. Be consistent there. Right? Consistency in a small group of people and practicing vulnerability, I promise you it'll change your life. And then spend time in prayer consistently. Right? You make it a practice, a habit. Right? You, you don't have to be anywhere special. You don't have to, like, you can pray anywhere at any time. Just simply pause and spend time with the person who loves you the most. And if you create, if you take those four things from this place, you won't be starving for summer camp because you haven't spent any time with him since winter camp. Hey, practice these things. Hey, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What seemed very wrong? Nineveh getting saved. The, the Nineveh turning from their ways, God relenting and giving them the opportunity to be saved. To this, Jonah, Jonah, sorry, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tijuana, or Tarshish, whatever your Bible says, okay? I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God. Slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You know what that sounds like? Right, read this verse with me. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. We've talked about this already. Remember Exodus 34? Wait, let me read it for you. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion. Jonah goes, I knew that you were a steadfast and gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He's calling God on his name. Hey, friends, it, when you start picking up on these subtleties in Scripture, I promise you this book goes from black and white to color. In, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus is going to reference this story. He, he's going to look at the story of Jonah, and he's going to say, if you were looking for a sign, I gave it to you with the prophet Jonah. He spent three days in the belly of whale, and, and, and just like he spent three days in the belly of the whale, so will the Son of Man spend three days in the belly of the earth. And you start picking up on the subtleties in this story that Exodus 34 and Jonah chapter 4 and, and, and Matthew chapter 12 verse 40, they're all interconnected, interwoven to tell one great story. And you start picking up on this and you start going, whoa, something's happening here. Y'all like the Marvel movies? Okay. Um, how many like Marvel fans are there in, in the room, in this place? Okay. How many of you are like, like some of, you, some of us are like Marvel fans? And some of us are like Marvel fans, okay? Um, have you seen uh, the, the, what, the, what's the one where they all come together and the, the big guy? No, 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 not that one. Um, Endgame, yes, Endgame, thank you. The people that came up with that are the like Marvel fans. <laughs> They're like, oh, Endgame? You were like listing off all of the Marvel movies. Okay, in, in Endgame, um, the, the big dude with all of the gems, Thanos, thank you. Purple guy, yeah. So Thanos, Thanos, 
I'm sorry, okay. Thanos, Thanos. Okay, uh, those were, th again, the Marvel people. Thanos in this movie, right? There's this moment where Thanos is fighting Thor. And there, there's this epic battle going on, and then he knocks Thor down, and he takes his big axe, and he's, like, pressing it into, uh, he's pressing it into Thor's chest. And I was, I was watching this movie with uh, my church. And we rented out uh, a movie theater, uh, like, one of the rooms, and we were all sitting watching it together. And, like, I'm a big movie guy. Like, I love movies, but I don't really track the Marvel Universe all that well. Like, I, I like the movies fine, but when it comes to the Marvel Universe and, like, the intricacies of it, I'm like, a little bit over my head. And so I'm watching this movie, and I'm sitting next to my senior pastor's son, who's a Marvel person. Like, there's Marvel people that are like, yeah, cool. And then there's Marvel people. Y'all are the ones that when I said Thanos, you bit my head off, okay? And you went, it's Thanos. Ugh, this guy, right? So I'm sitting next to, uh, his name's Barrick. I'm sitting next to Barrick, and in this scene's happening, right? Thanos is, like, pressing his axe into Thor's chest. And then all of a sudden, right, it's like... <laughs> The hammer comes and knocks Thanos over, and then the camera does this beautiful movie scene moment where it pans out, and standing in the middle of the battlefield is Blue Spandex Boy, Captain America. And, and thank you for proving my point for me. That's exactly what happened in the movie theater, okay? Like, when the, when the camera panned out, and it, he went like... The whole theater went, and I'm sitting there going like, what just happened, right? And so I like, I elbow Barrick, and I'm like, bro, what, what happened? And he looks at me so annoyed, like so annoyed. He's like, oh, you don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't get it. That's why I'm asking you, like, why did everybody just lose their minds when Blue Spandex Boy caught that hammer? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And he went, oh, and he rolled his eyes, and he went, you don't understand. Like, there's this, there's this hammer, and it's Thor's hammer, and Hulk tried to pick it up. And when he tried to pick it up, his feet sunk into the ground because it's not about strength. It's about being worthy. And, and back in the day, this skinny little dude, he became worthy, and he climbed in this machine, and this really bright light went on, and he went, oh, I can handle it. And he stepped out from being five foot six, and he turned into this like six foot five Captain America, and then he led the Avengers. And so when he, they needed it the most, Thanos got knocked on his butt by this hammer because he's worthy. And I'm like, a hammer? And he's like, yeah, it's named Jonathan. And I'm like, wait, it's named Jonathan? Like, what do you mean a hammer named? And he's like, oh, you don't understand. You don't get it. And he's trying to give me this whole context. And, and, and he's going on and on and on and on. And he says, if you don't understand the context, you're never going to cheer for the story. And I went, oh, okay. So you know what I did? I Googled. Avengers in order, and I just started, like the and, and and there's like right even like the the depths of the Avengers world. They went well. Do you want to watch them in chronological order, or do you want to watch them in release date? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want to understand. And so I started watching them by release date, and I started to understand context, and I started to understand I, all the fan, all the Marvel people were like, ugh, release date, right? has to be chronological order. Hey, but when you start watching these movies and you pick up on who Captain America is in his history, and you pick up on Thor and who he is in his history, and you start understanding how it's all interwoven, right? when somebody else picks up Thor's hammer, you go, no way. 
Friends, let me suggest something to you. When you start picking up this book and understanding that this is 66 books written by 40 different authors written over 1,500 years on three continents and three languages telling one great story, right? when, when you stop buying into the lie that church is boring, when you stop buying into the lie that church is a place where twice a week you can come and hang out and kind of get a little bit of God into your life, and in the 168 hours, as if God's like, oh, you gave me two of them? Thanks. That's not how it works. Remember Romans chapter 10? Last night we talked about this. He says, if you confess with your mouth that I am Lord, if you bow your knee to me and surrender your entire life, God will not take a part of your life. He will either be Lord of all of it or none of it. There's no such thing as a kind of Christian. There's no such thing as a cultural Christian. Because you have a Bible verse in the link in your bio, it doesn't mean jack squat to the God of the universe. And when we start picking up this book and falling in love with this story, not for the Bible itself, but for the God behind the story, I'm confident of one thing. The more you understand who he is in his character, the more you will understand that he is a God of love, that he is a God of compassion, that he is a God of kindness, that he is a God of forgiveness, that he is a God that where shame has no place in his presence. And he is a God that desires that you be fully fulfilled and fully satisfied in him. Friends, in the things that you feel in life, when it comes to a pornography addiction, when it comes to trying to satiate the God-sized hole that is inside of you that will never be matched by a boy, that will never be matched by a girl, and how she might make you feel temporarily or how he might make you feel when he tells you that you're pretty, right? it's never going to last. Finding Mr. Right or finding Mrs. Right, it's not going to satiate. I love my wife to death, till death do us part, but she was never designed to be an ultimate fulfillment or satisfaction for me. It's not marriage. It's not the right job. It's not enough money. Nothing on this earth was designed to fulfill and to satisfy. It's only the God of this Bible. One of my favorite Bible verses is a prayer by a guy named Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And he says this as he's writing to the church of Ephesus. He says, Ephesus, here's my prayer. I pray that the God, our Father, that he might grant you with a spirit of and a spirit of revelation. His prayer is, Ephesus, I pray that God grants you with a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation, simply so that you may know him better. Isn't that awesome? Paul goes, I pray, right? And here's how I think that that prayer should go. I pray that God grant you with a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can go out and change the world. I pray that God grant you with a spirit of wisdom and revelation so you can make huge churches with tons of people. And you know what he says? He says, I pray that God grant you with a spirit of wisdom and revelation simply so that you may know him better. Because you know what happens as you know him better? You start to understand his heart. And we start to see that my heart 
needs to look a lot more like his heart. And the only way that's going to happen is if I spend more time with him. And if I lean into this relationship. And as I get to know him more, I start to understand that his heart is always for his purpose, and his purpose is always for salvation. And my heart starts to reflect God's heart for the lost. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, says that there's going to be a day where Jesus returns. And there's going to be a day Jesus came one time, and he preached the good news of the gospel. And he said, I'm going to return. I'm going to come back. There will be a day I return. And on that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. At that point, there won't be an option anymore. But for those of us on this side of that day who have chosen to surrender, there is an eternity with him at store, in store. But 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, it gives you and I a job. It gives you and I a purpose that should put a fire under our butts every single day for the rest of our life. And whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a mom, a dad, a youth pastor, right, a dentist, whatever you do, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9 gives us this sense of purpose because it says this. It says, to God, a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years. He's not slow in returning like you and I think of slowness. He's slow in returning because he doesn't want anybody to perish. See, last night we talked about the fact that all have sinned and all have fallen short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is an eternal separation from God. That it's our choice. Friends, do you know how badly I wish that salvation worked like this? I wish that I could just like, the Bible said, if somebody on stage yells the name of Jesus really loud, those who hear it will be saved. I wish it was that simple. Because you know what we would do? We would just pack this room full of as many people as we could and we'd go, Jesus! All right, cool, next. Right? We'd bust up a bunch of other kids and we'd go like, this is great. Salvation at its finest. Right? And we'd have Chick-fil-A for everybody on the way out. And be like, this is ministry. This is it. But that's not how it works. It's your choice. See, all sin will be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. And if your sin has been paid by Jesus, it's not enough to just stop and stay in the fact that my sin has been forgiven. No, our job, our duty, our purpose, God's plan A to reach the world around us is you, and it's me. It's his church. In 2 Peter 3 8 through 9 says that God doesn't want anybody to perish, and so he's slow to return so that you and I can get work done. But we're not alone in the midst of that. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you. Jesus promises that he will be with us. Jesus goes as far as to say in John chapter 16 that it's better for us that he go away so that he can send somebody else. You ever read those Bible verses before where you read it and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, huh? This is one of those verses for me. I read, it's better for you that I go away. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, "Mm, yeah, wait, huh? You ever do that with the Bible? You get a double take, you read a verse, and then, and then all of a sudden you go, 
skirt? Wait, what? Huh? Did he just say it's better that he go away? I don't care how good your youth pastor is, right? If you go home tomorrow and you check Instagram and on your youth group's Instagram, it says Jesus is in town. Jesus of Nazareth is here and he's teaching this Wednesday or he's teaching this Thursday or whatever night your youth group meets. You're not going to miss that one. You're not thinking to yourself, ah, shoot, I got water polo. No, you're, you're not going to water polo if Jesus is in town. If Jesus shows up and he's your guest teacher that week, you know how many questions I would have? I'd grab him and be like, hey, can, can we talk? There's some things in here that don't really make sense to me. There's some things about my life that I don't fully understand. There's some hurt and some pain and some brokenness that I kind of want to hash out, me and you, Jesus. And at that moment, I, I kind of feel like he'd be like, hey, get in line. <laughs> you, you got a bunch of other people in this youth group that also want to talk. You want to know why Jesus says it's better for us that he goes away? It's because if Jesus was at Church of the Woods this Thursday night, he couldn't be at North Coast with me and my crew. And if Jesus was with me and my crew in San Diego, then he couldn't be wherever your church is. He couldn't be in all the way in Arizona. Right? Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because he sends one. He sends the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that is God dwelling in us. Once you have surrendered your life to Jesus, he promises that he will make his dwelling in you. Why? Because God is a God that pursues and that God is a God that desires to be with us. And as you surrender your life to Jesus, he promises that he will go before you. That the purpose of the Spirit is to teach, to convict, to remind us of the words of Jesus. It's that still, quiet voice. My dad always said that the Spirit, God's Spirit, is usually the thought that you think when, it, when you know and you're confident that it's too smart for you to think. When you think a thought that's too smart for you to think, it's probably God. It's that moment where you're going one way and then there's just this perpendicular thought. We go, God, thank you for reminding me of your word. Thank you for teaching me, for convicting me, for that still small whisper that says, go sit with her or go sit with him. They need a representative of me and that representative of me is you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Man, I just want to close with this. 2 Corinthians 5, it says that, that we are called Christ's ambassadors. Big word. And maybe you know what it means, maybe you don't. Here's my challenge for you, though. Anytime in Scripture that you go, I don't really know what that word means, don't just go, mm, mm-hmm. That's the thing in my life that drives me the craziest. I grew up around the church, so, like, Christianese drives me nuts. When I ask one of my students a question and they give me this, like, churchy Bible answer, and I go, well, what does that mean? And they go, well, I don't know. I'm like, well, you just memorized that. Right? Y'all know the song Gyra? Gyra, you I asked my students recently, I went, what does gyra mean? Leaders don't say anything, okay? I, go, I went, what does gyra mean? And they go, I don't know. And I go, then why the frick are you singing it, right? Why do you stand up and go, gyra, you are enough. I'm like, well, what does that mean? I don't know. What are we doing then? Right? Why do, why do as Christians do we walk around and we're like, we, we use this language of, you know, like, God is just the sanctification of the transubstantiation of, like, the way that God works, and he's just Jehovah Jireh. It's like, what does that mean? If you don't know what it means, don't use that language. If you read 2 Corinthians 5 and you go, we are Christ's ambassadors, and you go, well, I don't know what that means, circle it in your Bible, put a fat question mark next to it, and Google it. 
Or go up to your youth pastor and go, Dane, I don't know what ambassador means. Can you explain this to me? And he'll either go, yes, or I don't know, but I'll figure it out with you. That's one of my favorite things to do with my students. They come up to me and they ask me a crazy theological question. And I go, I have no idea. But I'm willing to find out with you. Right? Let's wrestle through this. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we are Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does? I lived in Ecuador for 11 years of my life. And there was an ambassador to the United States of America in Ecuador. And every 4th of July, we would go to the ambassador's house. And as they would open up the gate to the ambassador's house, it would be a little bit of the USA in Ecuador. It was brilliant. We walked in, and you open up the gates, and it smells like America. You're like, oh, barbecue, right? The smells of freedom. And you'd walk over to a cooler, and you'd open up a cooler, and you'd pop that sucker open, and it'd be like Mountain Dew and Dr. Pepper and A&W and all these sodas. When you go to a grocery store in Ecuador, it's Fanta and Fioravanti and Coke and Pepsi. And that's it. So when I got a craving for Dr. Pepper and I couldn't find it anywhere, I'd think to myself, I can't wait for the 4th of July because I get to go to the ambassador's house. And at the ambassador's house, there's a little bit of America in Ecuador. And you walk up to people and they say, hi, how are you doing? And I'm like, English, my native language. And I get to sit here and I get to talk with people that talk like me. And I get to smell the smells of America. And I get to taste the taste of America. And it's a little bit of the USA in Ecuador. In 2 Corinthians, when it calls us to be Christ's ambassadors, remember the C.S. Lewis quote from day one? If we think, if we find ourselves thinking that in this world nothing can satisfy, maybe it's because we were made for another place. So when you and I surrender our life to Jesus and we start diving into God's word and living the way that he calls us to live and loving the way that he calls us to love and interacting with one another in a way that he calls us to interact and striving after unity and walking in humility and gentleness and kindness and patience and we start changing our lives. Why? Because we believe God enough to do what he says. You know what we become? A little bit of heaven here on earth. A little bit of his kingdom in your high schools. A little bit of God's kingdom on your sports team, in your families. And you get to represent him. Friends, that gives me the most purpose I could ever possibly desire in my life. Right? If you want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a mom or a dad or singleness is what you're called to, Whatever it is that you go through in your life, it becomes secondary. And for all of us, our primary is to go into the world and make disciples and tell people that there's a different way of living. It's not good advice. It's good news. And it's not about you and I. God doesn't choose to bless us. He chooses to bless his message. If you think to yourself, there's no way God could use me. I'm too screwed up. I've done too much wrong. Have you read the Bible? The amount of people that God uses in Scripture that are just so broken. Like King David, he, the, the amount, he's a man after God's own heart. Like he killed Goliath for sure. Like kudos, mad credit. But he also stayed home from war when he should have gone to war saw a woman, called her into his castle, 
slept with her, impregnated her, and then went, oh shoot, this isn't my wife. It's actually somebody else's wife. And then he called that dude and he said, hey, uh, you should sleep with your wife. And he went, I could never do that while my men are at battle. And David went, dang it. And so he sent him back into battle and he put him in the front line and got him murdered. So not only did he commit adultery, he's now committed murder and that God used that man to spread his gospel. If David applied at your church to be a youth pastor, no senior pastor in their right mind would go, mm, this is the guy for the job. If David moved into my neighborhood, I would get blackout curtains and I would go, you're not allowed near my family. And God used that guy. So don't believe for a second that you're too far gone or that God doesn't want to use you. He does. You and I are his plan A and there is no plan B. So friends, take time over the next couple weeks, months, spend time in his word, spend time in worship through music, spend time in community and in prayer. And remember that as you get to know his heart and that his heart is for his purpose and his purpose is always for salvation, that our heart is going to start to align with his for the lost. Would we be a people that our number one purpose moving forward is, God, would you use me to expand your kingdom, but would I do that from a place of being fully known and fully loved by you? Would we remind ourselves of that daily and operate from that place? Pray with me. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this weekend, God, that we can just get away and, and step into the mountains and just crack open your word and learn more about you. God, I echo the prayer of Paul that just says, would you give us in this room, these men and these women, would you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we might know you better? God, because as we get to know you, I'm confident that it'll change every part of our lives. God, that no moment, no minute, no relationship in my life will go untouched if I live every day through the lens of being fully loved and fully accepted and fully known by you. We love you, Father. Thank you for this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.